Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, I wanted to talk about a concept called Felix Culpa. The translation is, oh, happy sin or oh, fortunate error, something to that effect. And although he was not the originator of the phrase, I learned it when studying John Milton in college and Paradise Lost where the idea that the original sin was a bad thing that caused Adam and Eve to lose paradise would actually turn out to be a happy bad thing or a fortunate bad thing in that because they lost paradise, eventually Jesus Christ would be born and save humanity and make possible salvation for the human race. And this idea is conveyed right near the end of Paradise Lost in Book 12, after Adam is understandably dejected about having lost Paradise. Hey, who wouldn't be? And he's speaking with the Archangel Michael, who explains this whole concept to him and tells him of what is to come from this sin. And Adam responds, Oh, goodness infinite, goodness immense, that all this good of evil shall produce, and evil turn to good, more wonderful than that which by creation first brought forth light out of darkness. Full of doubt I stand whether I should repent me now of sin by me done and occasioned, or rejoice much more, that much more good thereof shall spring. And he goes on to say, maybe I should be glad that I did this thing. So talk about making lemonade out of the lemons, especially when the lemons were of your own doing. The idea that a terrible calamity could produce some good results is certainly not confined to Milton or to Christian theology. And I bring this up because we've had a lot of bad news over the last few years, starting with the COVID calamity and the general ramping up of suppression of free speech. Now we have the Ukraine war, which of course is a complete disaster. And certainly Putin bears the responsibility for invading Ukraine. Although the media narrative that this was completely unprovoked, of course, we all know that's complete nonsense. 
it's a rather complicated question as to whether, although provoked, Putin was justified in prosecuting this war. Certainly by ANCAP standards, he wasn't. But then again, by ANCAP standards, neither the government in Moscow nor in Washington, D.C. should exist in the first place. But by the standards of international geopolitics, I think I've said before that you really have to ask, well, when would it have been justified? Certainly the U.S. government has set the precedent that if there were missiles installed in Ukraine, as there were in Cuba in the 1960s, then, of course, the U.S. government felt justified in threatening a war unless the missiles were removed. Now, NATO had already run military exercises in Ukraine. They had shipped billions of dollars worth of weapons to Ukraine prior to the war, not even counting what's been shipped there afterwards. There weren't nuclear missiles in Ukraine yet. So this is a rather complicated picture. And not to spend too much time on it, because it's not the subject of today's podcast, but again, when would he have been justified? After Ukraine joined NATO? After the missiles were installed, would he have had to wait till the first one was fired? So a rather complicated question, but in any case, it's hard to imagine that any good is going to come out of the Ukraine war. Now, some people might say, well, wait a minute, although it's very unfortunate that this war is going on and people are dying, the whole reconfiguration of the global currency map might be something good, that while in the short term it's going to be negative that at least Russia will no longer be able to supply all of the exports it currently supplies in U.S. dollars, that could be negative for the U.S., it's going to be much more negative for Europe, that in the end this competition for the dollar might turn out to be a good thing. But it's kind of like the American Civil War in this respect, that one could say, well, okay, the American Civil War was a tragedy where anywhere from 600,000 to a million Americans killed each other. Can't imagine a worse situation than that. But a result of the war was that slavery was abolished. Now, it might not have been Lincoln's intention to abolish slavery. In fact, I shouldn't say might not. We know it was not Lincoln's intention to abolish slavery by prosecuting the war because he said so in his inaugural address and over and over afterwards to the point where he got annoyed answering the question. And when he writes his letter to Horace Greeley, he says, I don't know why people keep asking me this. I've been very clear. I'm not doing this to free the slaves. If I could save the Union without freeing a single slave, I would do so. I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty close to his sentiments. But there is no doubt that even though that was not his intention, that slavery was certainly abolished at least a lot sooner than it would have been because of the Civil War and what happened after the Civil War in reforming the Union. Now, my contention to that would be that, well, we could have abolished slavery without a war like every other civilized country in the Western world. How much longer would it have gone on? That's a very difficult question to answer. There are a lot of people who know quite a bit about this who say, look, slavery had a lot of good years ahead of it, good for slavery. Although it's hard for me to imagine that we would have entered the 20th century, let's say, and there are still slaves. 
But in any case, some people could look at that, look at the Civil War as a Felix culpa. And I'm sure somebody will find a way to make this out to be a highly controversial comment. But slavery itself could have been a Felix culpa. And while that's hard to imagine, and I'm sure that if I asked anybody, look, if you could go back in time to 1618, let's say, at least for the United States, and let's forget the rest of the world and the thousands of years slavery existed before that, but you could go back and and somehow or other see that slavery never occurred in America, I think everybody would say, well, of course I would do that. It's a terrible injustice. But on the other side of that coin, well, then you're saying that you don't place any value whatsoever on African-American culture, which would not exist today had it not been for slavery. So I'll allow that one to spin around in your head and keep you up tonight. But really, it's hard to find a war that you couldn't have avoided and still had whatever supposed positive result come out of it. And a lot of people look at the world wars as these wonderful, heroic events where the forces of all that's good and democratic defeated the dictators and authoritarians of the world. I look at them both as disasters for Western civilization, and I know I'm by no means alone on this. Especially World War II, all the focus goes to defeating Adolf Hitler, which in a vacuum was a great thing. But in order to do so, the United States allied itself with arguably a much worse dictator who certainly killed far more people, far more of his own people than Adolf Hitler killed of his. He had more years to do it in. So we'll just call that a tie. So certainly no clear win there. And I think. My conclusion is that I'm never going to look at a war and say that there could be some good that came out of the war, and thank goodness it was fought. They can all be avoided. But let's talk about some of these other things, like the COVID regime. Now, the disappointing part of the COVID regime was what a large percentage of the population not only went along with it, not only begrudgingly complied, fiercely defended the tyranny that was visited upon not just our country, but the entire world by their governments. I would say besides a a large-scale war, this was the biggest disaster that was visited upon civilization in our lifetimes. And I don't mean the pandemic itself. I mean specifically the government responses to the pandemic. Had the government done nothing, we would have been much better off, far fewer people would have died, and we would not be experiencing the economic hardship that we're experiencing now. And let me tell you something, the Ukraine war, and far more than the war, the Western response to the Ukraine war is going to cause massive economic damage, but we're not even feeling that yet. What we're feeling now are purely the effects of the response to COVID-19. So we've got a lot more hardship in front of us. And I want to remind everybody that this is all government created. None of this happened simply because of a natural pandemic. Of course, not too many people with their thinking caps on believe even the pandemic itself was naturally created. Almost certainly this thing was monkeyed with in a lab 
probably escaped by accident, but nonetheless, government-funded, government-created, only a government would do gain-of-function testing. In a, in a laissez-faire free market, nobody would want to take on that kind of risk. But are there any green shoots coming out of the COVID regime? Were there enough people awakened at how awful the power of the government can be to make it a net positive going forward? It's a hard case to make here in May of 2022, but we'll see. And I don't necessarily think that a massive landslide of Republicans being elected to the United States legislatures are going to make that big of a difference or justify or make worthwhile what we suffered under during the COVID regime. Although I should mention, and I think I've mentioned before, that if you're looking for limited government, you're not really going to get it within our system any time in my lifetime. But the few times where spending actually went down from year to year, federal government spending, that is, has been when we've had a Democratic president and a Republican Congress who hates his guts. That's the best we can do, folks. And if you go back, and I'll post a link to this on the show notes page, over the outlays and receipts for in the entire post-war period, you'll find that whenever a Republican is in office, spending goes up twice as fast as it went up during his Democratic predecessor, no matter who holds Congress. But when a Democrat is in the White House, if the Republicans control Congress, at least one house, but preferably when they control both houses of Congress, then you'll find that spending goes up a lot slower and actually will go down during some years. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. Call the answer, then you quietly save the day. You were right, Mr. Spock, about everything you said. We humans just are logical, too crazy in the head. We saw this with the second two-thirds of Bill Clinton's presidency, and we also saw it in Barack Obama's second term. If you can remember back to sequestration which was a series of spending caps that were put in place where if they didn't pass a budget that both parties agreed on, then certain automatic caps on spending would occur. And of course, military spending never goes down. But when it didn't go up as much as it was scheduled to, according to Washington's baseline spending plans, 
of course, all the Republicans just thought the world was going to end because military spending only went up 5% this year instead of 7%. And likewise, with some other programs that the Democrats found important back then. So I don't want to discount that if we do get this Republican landslide in November, and I never believe it till I see it. I One thing that makes me uncomfortable is the length of time that people have been talking about the certainty that this midterm election is going to go to the Republicans and go to them big. Again, makes me nervous that they've been talking about it for as long as they have. And while I have no love for the Republicans, as I said, I want to see the sweet spot at least one more time in my life where we've got a Democratic president and Republicans saying no to everything. That's the only time that they're any good for anything. And I'll remind you that after the Bill Clinton presidency, when spending did in fact go down and they actually ran some surpluses, if you do the math the way the government does, they were kind of fake, but that we got George Bush into office. And when the Republicans had full control, of course, per the longstanding record, spending went up twice as fast as it did under Bill Clinton. And the same thing happened when Donald Trump got into office after Barack Obama with the Republicans in control of both houses of Congress. Spending went up twice as fast before COVID-19 under Trump than it had under Obama averaged out over his eight years. So just so you don't think I'm snowing you on that, it wasn't quite twice as fast. If you average out the spending increases for all eight years of the Obama administration, you get an increase of about $112 billion per year. And under President Trump, for his first three years before COVID, spending was going up $200 billion a year. So just under twice as fast. But this is the same with every Republican president. This was the same under Nixon. Uh, it was even the same under Eisenhower, who, again, cut spending a few years. But by the time he got on his road building spree and you look at his presidency in total, yes, he spent twice as fast as Truman did, believe it or not. But I wouldn't call a, a Republican landslide in Congress, along with Joe Biden remaining as the Democratic president, so much a result of the COVID regime as just the normal cycle where we get lucky every once in a while and get a tiny little break. And don't get me wrong, it's not like there's any libertarian paradise when we have this configuration between president and Congress. It's just not quite as bad as all of the other combinations that you can get between who's got the White House and who's got each House of Congress. So we'll have to see if there is any kind of a political movement that grows out of resisting the COVID regime. Of course, we have states that handled it differently in 2021. Let's not forget that Florida, Texas, Iowa, they were all locked down in 2020, just like everybody else. So I am glad that they came to their senses in the following year. Only South Dakota refused to lock down right from the beginning. But we do have those examples. And as I've written that was to an extent kind of a reemergence of our federal system in that policy was different in a lot of those red states than it was in the deep blue states. However, fiscally, it was not different. Fiscally, everybody got bailed out the same. So even if your state was more responsible 
in the way it responded to the pandemic, we still had to pay for the nonsense that was going on in all the other states. And let me remind you that that was with President Trump's full-throated support to send out all that relief money. So he seemed to be clueless that, you know, if you really want to have a federalist system and give people the opportunity to make their own decisions, you have to hold them responsible for those decisions. If New York was going to lock down completely, New York taxpayers should have paid for the lockdown, not federal taxpayers, including states that didn't do that. And as I said on a previous podcast, I don't believe we would have had any lockdowns if each state had to pay for the consequences of closing all their businesses instead of the federal government just printing up money out of thin air, which we're now all paying for in higher prices. But let's see if we get a Felix Culpa out of the COVID regime. I'm hoping to see a political movement that says never again. And really what would have to come out of that is taking away these emergency powers from governors and not allowing them to declare an emergency anymore. Something that I just don't have a lot of hope that either Republicans or Democrats would want to do. I think they're both in love with this idea of their governor when they win that seat exercising power. You can see DeSantis kind of going on offense along with his legislature. And, you know, that gets a lot of cheers out of people who don't particularly like the woke agenda. And I'm one of them. I don't like it. But you have to stop and think about the precedents that are being set for gubernatorial power, for legislative power over private property, and those are not good. So I think the last thing that I'll throw out there as a possible Felix Culpa is big tech censorship. So I've held the line that big tech has every right to kick me off Facebook or Twitter or shadow ban me or do whatever. Yes, they are private companies, and I use the same reasoning to say Titles 2 and 7 of the 1964 Civil Rights Act should be repealed. I use the same reasoning to say, no, the baker should not be forced to bake the cake for the gay wedding. But if you're going to take those positions, then you have to take the position that Twitter can kick you off. And if you don't, then I really don't have a lot of sympathy for you when the left calls you a racist because they're going to say, well, why is it that you're applying this standard to the baker with the poor homosexual couple or even worse to the 1950s or 60s lunch counter owners who just wouldn't let somebody come in because of the color of their skin? You're going to defend private property there, but not to bloviate on Twitter is some basic human right that just can't be violated. I'm telling you, you're playing a weak hand there. So I've stuck by my guns. And now Elon Musk has supposedly rode to the rescue. And I find it a little disconcerting that the right and also the libertarians, who are not part of the right, by the way, are just lionizing this guy who is, after all, a socialist by his own admission, somebody who preaches the democracy as an end and that he wants to do this because democracy is so important. I know I've done other podcasts to say, no, democracy is not an end in and of itself. Democracy is a tool to obtain political freedom, and I would say that it's done a terrible job. Hans Hermann Hoppe was probably correct. You got a much better chance with monarchy, as bad as that is. 
But our system isn't even a democracy. It has democratic elements, but there's a whole lot of restraint on democracy in our system, most of which restraints we have ignored or abolished in the past hundred years during the progressive era. But in any case, maybe, just maybe, that big tech censorship was overplayed and out of this will come a backlash. And perhaps Elon Musk, whose sincerity I have no doubt about, I'm sure he has self-interested reasons for doing what he's doing, but he probably believes what he's saying. He probably thinks that free speech is vital to a democracy, the way everybody talks these days. And it's probably going to be a good thing that he bought it. And whatever changes he makes to that aspect of it, the algorithms and the shadow banning and the filtering speech, any change will be good because I think we were about at the worst place you could be. And let's see if any of the other social media platforms follow suit. We'll also have to see how nasty the government gets, not only with Twitter owned by Elon Musk, but what about Musk's other companies, Tesla and SpaceX? They've ridden government subsidies or favors. And when I say subsidies, I don't mean tax cuts. I mean, the New York governor wrote him checks for almost a billion dollars in the mid-2010s. So Elon got checks written right out of the treasury to start the Solar City factory in Buffalo, a complete boondoggle disaster, among other things. I know it seems like I'm particularly sore about that one since some of that was my money and I was a substantial net taxpayer. <laughs> so Elon got some Tom Mullen money right out of my bank account and into his during that period. So I'll try to let that go and stay objective. And I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what happens with Twitter under his ownership. But really, I'm looking for a lot more than that to come out of big tech censorship. If there is going to be any kind of positive development as a result of it, because just one guy buying Twitter and making it into a center-left social democratic free speech platform is, I think we could do better than that. But anyway, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this whole idea. Is there any lemonade to be made out of the lemons that we've been served for really most of this whole century? And let's not even go into the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. No, those were total disasters. But some of these other domestic developments, will any good come out of any of them? Please leave your answers in the comments on the show notes page to this podcast. I'd love to hear from you. And if you think there's a subject we could delve into more here, please let me know and I'll be happy to bring it up. On Wednesday, we're going to have Chris Rosini, economist. You may know him from the Ron Paul Liberty Report. He's going to be here to discuss the developments with the dollar. And although the dollar is plummeting in value in terms of what you can buy with it at the gas pump or the grocery store, it is appreciating in terms of the dollar index compared to the euro, the Japanese yen, and other fiat currencies. So as bad as the Fed has been with the dollar, so far, the markets are saying that the Europeans and the Japanese, at least, have been a lot worse. So we'll try to sort that all out with Chris Rosini and see where things are going. And then later in the week, I'll also have Norm Singleton on. We were supposed to have him last week, but we had some scheduling difficulties. He'll be here to talk about this whole issue of big tech censorship, 
Are they a private company? Are they not? And where libertarians should be falling on that whole issue. So I'm looking forward to the rest of the week. Don't forget, if you haven't already, download my free ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. You can download the PDF for free, and you can also pick up a copy of the paperback at a pre-hyperinflation price, and maybe even pick up a few so you can give them to your friends if you have the means. That helps me keep the lights on around here. And if you like the music that you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and I'll see you all on Wednesday. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.